you're between the ages of four to eight, you're excused to kids' club. Well, having mentioned to you that last Sunday I had the privilege of being in, in Rwanda, last Sunday morning we woke up early, in fact, probably earlier than you did this morning, to drive two and a half hours into the northwest of Rwanda so that I could stand in the pulpit of Bethel Church in Musanza, Rwanda. It was a cool experience. They actually requested that we come because they consider us as a church to be their brothers in a lot of ways. One of them is the reality that as a church, they have been supporting both the Bennetts and the Bjorklands for over 20 years. And so they were astounded at the fact that their church and our church were supporting the same missionaries and that we cared about Rwanda. It meant a lot to them. So as we walked into that church service, the pastor Toma, English Thomas, asked if they could send greetings to us. And so I took a picture. If you'd give me the picture, this is their church in Musanza, Rwanda, greeting you. I'm waiting for a picture. There are a lot of people doing this. Should we not find it? <laughs> Being encouraged to just keep talking, keep spreading that out. Needless to say, if we come up with a picture or not, the church gives you their greetings. There you go. They're waving at you, uh, letting you know that they greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, it was a really sweet opportunity to be with this church. This sweet woman on the far left in the blue had these little symbols. She kept clanging through the whole service. And by the way, they dance and sing in that church. Uh, they could teach us some things about worship, but that lady kept clanging these things together, and I walked over to see what she had, and at the end of the service, she showed them to me, and there were two bike gears with the pedals that had broken off, and she'd taken them, and she'd polished them and, and turned them into these beautiful symbols of worship, and so just a great privilege to be with people who love Jesus so, so dearly. I recently heard the story of a pastor talking to his children about Easter, pastor turned to his son and asked him, why is Easter important? The boy, being a really good pastor's kid, responds by saying this. He says, on Good Friday, we celebrate that Jesus died on the cross. And on Easter morning, we celebrate that the big bunny brings us candy. The story made me laugh as it just did you. And I hope and pray that my kids know something different than that. But as a child, I'm pretty sure that that was true for me. That my expectation for Easter morning had everything to do with the chocolate and the little treats and the little gifts my mom would put together and put in a basket for me. And inevitably, the ensuing fight of my mom getting mad at my dad for having eaten all the chocolate so she'd have to go back to the store to buy more to put in our baskets. Those were my early Easter memories. And while it seems like a good idea to give your child an Easter basket, we did this morning, we want them to know that they're loved, we want them to know that they're appreciated, it is pretty easy for us as a church, as a culture, and as people to buy into these realities that when we come to holidays, that it's about the extras and not about the main thing. We could think that today is all about a bunny. We could think that today is about chocolate. We could think that today is about family and miss the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead 
And we could miss the significance of that and the significance of the resurrection and to appreciate what an absolute game changer the resurrection was. This morning, I want us to turn in the book of Luke. We're going to move around a lot in our Bibles. I say this from time to time. We're going to move around a lot because this book is our authority. It's not me. We want you to know we put the page numbers up there so that you can flip along. You can find it in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. But we're going to start this morning in Luke 23, and we're going to start in the 46th verse, because it's important. In the 46th verse, Jesus breathes his last breath, and he dies. And if we pay close attention to the text, you'd see in this moment, in the lives of the disciples, in the lives of the followers of Jesus, at that moment, every all seemed lost, God seemed distant, and hope seemed really far away. And if you were to follow this scene in all four Gospels, you'd see a picture that frankly doesn't look far off from the lives of most Christians. Barna Research did a study a couple years ago that suggested that the vast majority of people in the United States who claim to be Christian are in fact deists. What a deist is, is somebody who believes in God. God exists, but he's not personally involved in me. And that God is far off. And that he has nothing to do with my life or the decisions I make or what he hopes, wants and hopes for me. Friends, we could actually be pursuing a God that's not a God at all. That we could believe in a God who's far off and distant. And having claimed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ... For the forgiveness of our sins, we could walk as if God is far distant and removed from us. And in doing so, we'd miss the resurrection, which absolutely bears everything for us. This year, we started walking through the book of 1 Peter on Sunday mornings. I'll be picking that up again next week. Our theme walking through 1 Peter has been living in hope. What does it look like for us to really believe in Jesus, to believe in him personally, to walk with him personally, and to allow our lives not just to be marked by his death so that we'd walk as a forgiven people, but to be marked by his resurrection, a people with a great hope. So what I want to do this morning is lean into the resurrection. Of course I am. It's Easter. We want to lean into the resurrection, and we're going to look at it, and I want to give us five truths that the resurrection speaks to us. So continuing on in Luke 24, 1 through 12, we read it. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You get this picture that on Sunday morning they wake up and they look. Dawn is an interesting idea because it's the rising of the sun. The sun comes up in the east. And in fact, that's the etymology of our word Easter. The east. It comes from the German language. That we look to the sun rising. And if you're a total nerd and you like to nerd out a little bit, you can't help but to picture the the scene from the Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf comes at the early dawn from the east, 
It's a very picture of Christ's return. The hope that it brings. They run to the tomb to prepare the body. If you're going to take spices, you expect them to be there. They were preparing to put him away, not for him not to be there. And what they find is not what they were looking for, but what they desperately needed. The body was not there. And in verse 4, while they're perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. It's one of these scenes that when I get to eternity, I hope that somewhere Jesus has a theater room with stacks of DVDs to watch scenes play out from history. This is one I want to see. As they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. And these angels speak words of hope that they do not understand, words that we need to understand more than we do. He is not here, he has risen. Friends, we do not serve, we do not follow, we do not seek a dead God who's far off distant and gives us no hope. Thank you for that. Love it. We serve a God who is alive, who is moving, and who's at work. And he takes us back, Luke does, to remind us of Jesus. He says, remember how he told you while he was, in still Gal- while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And we're reminded that Jesus wasn't taken, but Jesus gave himself up. Jesus forecast it all. He foreshadowed it all. He told his disciples everything. In verse 8, it said they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And now as Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. And you have to lean into that for a second to appreciate that it was women, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, who testified that Jesus rose from the grave. It's these women who went and sought him early in the morning. And by the way, that stands out tremendously in the Bible because you have women testifying to Jesus being risen from the dead in a day and a time when a woman couldn't even stand up in a courtroom. A woman could not give testimony to anything. So when the Bible rests its testimony on three women, historically it's called the criterion of embarrassment. You wouldn't want to rest embarrassing facts on people who couldn't testify. The fact that the Bible does suggests it's true. These women testify to who Jesus is. They testify that he's not there. And the disciples didn't believe him. In verse 11, these words seemed idle to them, like an idle tale. In verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Friends, this is the the attitude I want to impart to you this morning. That as we celebrate that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that our attitude would be like Peter, 
that we would run looking for, seeking to be amazed at who Jesus is and what He accomplished for us at the cross and what it meant that He rose from the dead because the fact that He rose from the dead changes everything. And so we want to lean into that this morning and give you five incredibly important truths from the life of Christ that talk to us about what the resurrection communicates. So let me give you the first one. First, the resurrection proves that Jesus was God. Lean into that for a second and say that it didn't prove, Jesus didn't prove that he was God by dying on a cross. Many men have died. Many men have died claiming to be God. But Jesus, however, was different because he did it while he did it foretelling his death. He did it pointing to the prophecies surrounding his death. And most significantly of all, he did it and then rose from the grave. Paul writes this in the book of Romans, Romans 1.4, and talking about he, talking about Jesus. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That Paul writes to these Romans, it was his resurrection that declared that he was God. It was the fact that he overcame death that spoke. Paul testifies that his resurrection, that Jesus is God. And it shouldn't be too hard for us to fathom. As it's one thing to predict your death, another to point to prophecy that predicts your death, but a third yet to rise from the dead, and this sets Jesus apart from anyone who'd claim to be God. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead and if he's God, then the words he speaks are true and the words that he speaks to a criminal across the cross from him in Luke 23 are even more valid. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus looks at a man who's absolutely guilty. A man who's being crucified for his crimes against the state of Rome, probably, inevitably, full of sin, lacking hope. And Jesus says to this man in Luke 23, 43, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And what a striking thing for a man on a cross to say to another man on a cross, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a statement that only God can make. A statement that Jesus makes to this criminal, and it's worthy for us to note that it's not based on his life. He didn't look at this guy and say, you've had a good life. He didn't look at him and say, you were a good man. He didn't look at him and weigh out his good from his bad. He looked at this man and saw belief. And from the belief of this exceedingly guilty person, Jesus declares, today you will be with me in paradise. And without question, hours later, he saw his Savior in heaven. This man's salvation was not in question, and in fact, we can't question it, because Jesus declared it, and he declared it on the basis of his belief. So when we lean in on that, we find that the resurrection testifies that Jesus is God. And on that merit, as God, 
when the criminal cries out to Jesus, just as when we cry out to Jesus, we can place our faith in him and walk in confidence that when we've called on his name, we will be with him in paradise. And the resurrection points to that truth. Secondly, the resurrection proves Christ's power to forgive. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, which by the way is one of the most powerful chapters on the resurrection, both in its historicity and implications. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In this verse, what Paul makes plain and simple, if if Christ was not raised from the dead, if he was not resurrected, our faith would be meaningless, it would be pointless. And because, as previously pointed out, everything hangs on the resurrection, if Christ wasn't raised, we're still in our sins. We're still guilty of our sins. There's still judgment for our sins. And worse, we're still slaves to our sins. But as Paul asserts three verses later, Christ has been raised from the dead. And therefore, we, you, me, those who've believed in Jesus Christ, we are not in our sins. The penalty for our sins has been paid in full. The judgment has been lifted. And we are no longer slaves. And that's incredible news of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection from the dead asserts and clarifies for us the forgiveness of sins. His resurrection declares that to those who would believe in his name, the same words that he spoke to a prostitute in Luke 7, 48, a woman broadly known throughout her community as a sinner, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. He looks at this woman knowing exactly who she was, Knowing her morals, knowing her character, knowing what she has done, knowing what she hasn't done. He looks at this woman on the basis of faith. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And we lean into that. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how deep down the hole that you have gone. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he paid completely the price for all of our sin. Your sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Our sin is paid for. In fact, theologically, we tell you that at the cross, your sin was completely imputed into Jesus Christ. That your sin, your guilt, everything was pushed onto Jesus while simultaneously His righteousness is imputed into you. And you are declared righteous who jesus is and what he did at the cross is significant because it testifies that we're forgiven once and for all for all we have done for everything we should have done for everything we thought we did for everything we thought we should have done for every good intention bad intention sin of omission and sin of commission for those who would believe in the name of jesus christ the resurrection testifies christ's power to forgive our sins And his resurrection proves that Christ has the power to forgive sin and testifies to you and to me that we are no longer in our sin. A testimony that many of us need to hear and lean into this morning.
Thirdly, the resurrection also reveals Christ's power over death. In rising from the dead, Jesus overcomes death, and in fact, he defeats it. Romans 6, 9 says this, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Paul says in Romans that rather than death ruling over men, Jesus has ruled over death. Jesus brought death's long winning streak to an end. He put it away. And in 1 Corinthians 15, quoting the book of Isaiah, quoting the book of Hosea, words we sang this morning, Paul writes this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus defeated death. He overcame it for you and for me. And for those who believe in his name, death has no power, it has no victory. And in so doing, what Jesus says to us is the same words that he spoke to a very dead, and by the way, a very smelly Lazarus. Jesus will in fact speak to us when we die. In John eleven forty three, 43, it says this, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Words that you'll hear when you die. Because these words that Jesus spoke are true for us. Christians, people who believe in his name, do not stay dead. We are raised from the dead. What this means to us is having believed in Jesus, when we are on our deathbed, when we are facing our last breath, we do not need to fear. And we do not need to wonder what will happen next. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus physically, actually, literally, historically rose from the dead, because he literally defeated death, we will not stay in the grave. We will be with him for an eternity. And we know this because he raised from the dead. Fourthly, the resurrection models for us Christ's power in us. We've been leaning into this in 1 Peter a lot. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes this, writing and noting these three things that the church needs to know and hear. And the third, he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Paul says that one of the things you need to lean into, you need to understand, he prays that you will know is the power, the greatness of the power that you've been given based on Christ's rising from the dead. It says that in verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. That this power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. It's the same power that rolled the stone away. It's the same power that breathed life into the body of Jesus. This power is alive and it's at work in you and in me. And this is a testimony for any of us that have parts of our life that we would believe to be so deep and so dark and so dead that resurrection would be impossible. This is a testimony to us that there's room at the foot of the cross for anybody regardless of their past. It's a testimony to us that Jesus is at work and he's moving 
And these words that he spoke to an invalid in John 5, when Jesus says to a paralyzed man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. What Jesus says to him is it doesn't matter if your legs don't work. It doesn't matter if you've been trusting in all the wrong things. What matters, Jesus said, is do you believe in me? So Jesus turns to this man and says, do you want to get well? And then commands a lame man to walk. And his resurrection testifies to us that this power is at work. And it's moving within us to heal us, to grow us, to rebuild us, to strengthen us. The resurrection breathes life into every area of our lives. It breathes life into the potential of every soul around you. And it declares hope in the direst of all situations. And finally, the resurrection declares that we are free in Jesus Christ. A freedom that we never would have known otherwise. A freedom we could never know otherwise. And in Romans 6, Paul writes this. 6, 5, and 6. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, and we are, when we choose to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, we are being united with Him in His death. It's the very picture in baptism of you being put under the water. We're being united with Him in His death. That we allow Him to lead our lives. If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And you see how His resurrection points to your resurrection. And not just bodily at the end of time, but to the moment that you would be united with Him spiritually. The moment when you would accept Him, follow Him, give your life to Him. And Paul gives a further implication in verse 6. He says that we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What the resurrection testifies to us about Jesus Christ is that we are no longer slaves to sin because we are bought with a price. And we weren't bought with gold or silver or anything of value we were bought with the blood of jesus and we have been set free friends as we lean into the resurrection on this easter morning this resurrection sunday we got to be reminded we've got to lean into the truth of who jesus is what he's accomplished on his death but more so what he accomplished in his resurrection We have to lean in and appreciate that what it says about us is true. That Jesus was in fact God. That Jesus has the power to forgive all of our sin. That Jesus overcame death and defeated it and put it away. And Jesus is still at work in my life and in your life. He's still raising us up. He's still working on us. And Jesus 
By His resurrection, it declares this power. It informs of of this power that is at work within us. And by His resurrection, it declares a freedom that we have in Jesus. That we don't have to give in to sin. We're free to move away from it. We're free to choose something different because of the resurrection. Friends, this morning as we close our Easter service, I want to speak to you the words of Jesus. That for all of those who would believe in His name, these are spiritual truths that He has for you this morning. And I want you to listen to them. And I want you to own them. Your sins are forgiven. Come out of the grave. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. You are free. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Because of the resurrection, those words ring true in my life and in yours. Don't let you get in the way of believing it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning as the God who died on the cross for our sins. We worship you this morning for the God who rose from the dead. May we as a church and as a people and as a body lean into what your resurrection communicates to us. That we would know that because of your resurrection, our sins are forgiven. That we would know because of your resurrection that there's a power at work to move in us, to move through us, to redeem us towards your image. Because of your resurrection, there's no part of my life that you can't completely redeem and use for your good. Because of your resurrection, there's nobody in my life who is so far gone, so far lost, that your grace can't absolutely change everything. And because of your resurrection, when I know you, when I believe in you, I can put my complete trust in the reality That when I take my last breath, if it's today, if it's next month, if it's 30, 50, 60 years from now, that I can trust that today I will be with you in paradise because I've put my faith and hope in you. Jesus, thank you for the completed work at the cross on my behalf. And thank you for rising from the dead We serve a living God, and we worship Him this morning. Amen.